0: the wiggly podcast let your ipod bloom welcome to podcast 210 this week on the wiggly podcast we're going to cheer you up we're going to entertain you because last week we didn't do did we <laughs> <laughs> a
1: little bit of entertainment
0: do it? you think so oh. i'm heather from wiggly wigglers
1: i'm richard from bugs and Bees. occasionally wiggly wigglers and i'm farmer phil
0: you've got your own podcast rich
1: uh, indeed it's called tales from the hill i've only just started it i think i'm on the fourth episode so still trying to find my feet a little bit even though i've had a great deal of experience with the wiggly podcast but yeah if you go to itunes and either whack in uh richard fishbourne in the search box or uh, tales from the hill then you, you get a little insight into my life on the woolhope dome and and all the all my neighbors and, and friends on the hill and all the different aspects of reliving
0: i suppose that doesn't mean that we get a plug in there then
1: uh, or do we? Uh, you do get plugs, actually. Oh, and, uh, and equally, uh, there are times when, of course, I'm recording uh, off my own bat and I'm keeping those little features for the Wiggly podcast as well.
0: And on this week's show, we've got one of those coming up. Indeed. And we've also sourced English millet. We have. And English canary. We have. So we're ready oh, for a big good, launch oh, of a British bird mix. But I am going to leave you now because I can't be bothered to stay. No, I've got a meeting now with a lass from an important magazine. She's on her way to hay on Y and so I'm off. Okay. So will you be, boys be all right on your own?
2: Can I hit him? Of
0: course, Phil, <laughs> as <laughs> usual. As Just okay. don't record the punches, otherwise <laughs> we'll get into the explicit category. Um, so uh, I've gone. Goodbye.
2: So, Rich, She's gone, we're on our own. We're on our own with the cats away yeah. again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Indeed, It doesn't happen very often, though. It hasn't happened for a while now, has it? No. So you and I have been uh, sat on this couch, just
2: the two of us. So, before she went, she did allude to the fact that we've been trying to put together a British mix sourcing bird seeds yeah. from yeah. within the UK. That's and, a rare thing in itself, isn't it? Well, I don't think anybody else has actually done it. Properly, right. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so what I did was I started out with the idea that I wanted a mix with some carbohydrate or uh, cereal-based seeds in it and right. some oil seeds, okay. essentially. Mm. And obviously I wanted to make the mix as diverse as I could. What, uh, what distinguishes an oil-based seed from a
1: sort of high... uh, Carbon-based seed, high-fibre seed?
2: Basically, oil-based seeds are seeds of things like brassicas, so rape falls into that category, or linseed is another oily seed. And I actually include canary as an oily seed, although it is actually a grass, but it is a a very high-energy seed. And so we've got all those... In the mix, right. um, we've also managed to source some millet grown in this country okay. from Tom, who is a, a farmer. He's a leaf farmer, actually. Right, right. Um, and okay. so he's interested in growing some of that for us. Why is it unusual for millet, say, to be grown in this country? Well, millet is a plant that is indeterminate, so that it tends to seed and ripen according to the availability of moisture rather than the time of year oh, and uh, lupins are another plant for example right. that if they get enough moisture they just keep growing right. and they never stop and so that makes some of these plants very difficult to grow in this country because obviously we get a lot of rainfall right. not impossible and obviously if the price is right and compensates for a low yield then That's fine not so, bad. so um, essentially what we've managed to do is to put together a mix which I think stands up on its own, whether it's British or not, to be mm. quite honest with you. Mm. But it's got some of our own indigo in it, it's got some naked oats in it. Now, they're actually a very oily cereal, right. so that they're a good bird feed in themselves. Anything with oil or fat in it is high in energy, yeah, yeah. and it's easily available to the birds, particularly in this cold weather. Right. The birds like variety, just like yes. you and I do. So, um, you know, That's having a variety of, of seeds. And then, of course, we've got black sunflower yeah. in there that we grow. Yeah. And we're actually looking to change how we grow it to improve it. My fears about frosting black sunflowers appear to be not completely accurate. What and was that? what was that? You mean? Well, the idea was that we planted it in the beginning of June so that there was absolutely no chance of frosting the little sunflowers. Right. But it actually sounds as if they will stand a little bit of frost, okay. and obviously, if we can plant them a bit sooner, we get to harvest them sooner. Yeah. So we're not suffering so much from harvesting them in December in no, the wet and, and mud and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Essentially, that's the idea, and so uh, you can look forward to that in the near future. I've also added into the mix a little bit of oyster shell grit. Yeah. Because I think grit is is something that is important to have in a. A bird mix yeah, available to them. I think,
1: you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think some people sometimes beat themselves up over it when all the food's gone and there's still some grit in there because they sort of assume that the birds would eat the same quantities of grit at the same rate at which they eat the food. And of course, that, that's not exactly what happens because they they don't need the grit to the same extent that they need the food. But certainly, if the grit's available in the food, it's probably a good idea. We just
2: put a, a very small percentage in there, so that at, at any given time there is a little bit available to them. And so we're looking forward to that, and yeah. that will be good. So I've got Simon in Herefordshire who's growing canary right. for us. Okay, So he's got English canary seed. Where would that have originated from, then canary seed? I mean, is it. Uh, well, we it's canary, story? I don't know where the crop originates from, but it's quite interesting that years and years ago it would have been grown on a lot of farms Right for the seed. So the it's seed, a tiny seed, isn't it? Yeah, it it's a tiny little. Tiny little I expect it to, It'll be, what, five mil long, perhaps? Yeah. And it's got pointed ends, right. but it's quite fat, very shiny. Right. It's, it's, it flows, it's like water, you know, it oh, flows yeah. out. It's really nice to look at, very yeah. golden colour, right. and birds love it, obviously. Yeah. And so English canary is a good thing. And the other good thing about some of these crops, canary is one and millet is another, is their fantastic habitat in the field as the growing crop. Canary is a a dense, fairly coarse grass-like plant, and then it has a long stem with a fluffy seed head on the top of it. Okay. And so all sorts of animals love that just as a crop. Millet gives a very dense and sheltered habitat. It's sort of very green with big leaves, and, and it covers the ground completely, so that that creates quite a good habitat for all sorts of things. Right. So that not only do these things produce a seed that's good value on the bird table... But it's good out in the field, and of course it's diverse cropping. So you've got yeah. lots of different types of plants. Gives you better rotation, which should enhance the rest of the rotation. Yeah. So that'll be good. So that's that's Wonderful. right in the pipeline now. Excellent. Good stuff. Um, along with um, all the other bird seeds, which are flying out the door. Yeah. News. Well, it is the time of year where the majority of uh, the bird-loving population feed the feed feed our garden mm. birds. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? So that's good, and. Um, The other thing that Heather did before she left was that she put out on Twitter what questions would people like... Addressed on on the podcast, yeah. You happy, uh, yeah. Happy just this Twitter business. I'm just curious. How is it possible for
1: people to respond to someone's Twitter so rapidly? I mean, do they, have they got work? Technology rich. Too? is skiving. What's well, up with them? It, it's technology rich. Yeah, you'd need to worry be, your little head. Surely, about if it, you're yeah. just kind of so, so, I'm assuming then that if they're not skiving, what they what they are in fact doing is working uh, working away busily, uh, trying to achieve various goals well, on the computer, and suddenly, bing up comes a tweet, and then they're compelled to answer
2: it. Well, you don't have to if you don't yeah. want do to. Do people work for themselves or do they work well, for other people? I'll give you an example. So they Big, don't work for Defra, <laughs> well, Quite possibly they do, but Big Norm is in Sydney, <coughs> so it's the middle of the night in Sydney, right. so he's not working. And I think Norm's um, retired, is he, do you think? Uh, he he might be. I he uh, Tim Teague, who I've got a question from in a moment, is actually travelling in France, right. so that he's tweeting from his phone as he's sat in a train or whatever okay. he's doing. And so... Okay. Yeah, it's the sort of thing you can do it from your phone, or you can do it from your computer. Right, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah you, you like it, now, yeah. You guys yeah. really think. It's but anyway, we, we've got a couple of questions that we ought to address, and the the aforementioned Mr. Teague, his question is uh, why is it so foggy in France? Right, I might as well so stay at home. <laughs> and I take the view that the reason that it's so foggy in France, Tim, is because the fog has come down and you can't see. So that's why oh. that is. <laughs> okay. So um, the of high pressure from the high spread over Western Europe. Oh, that's far too technical. Geez, wind speed. That's, what, that's what. the answer you should give. No, I think if so I, I can't make see, you look, there's you two know, possibilities. Either my eyes are shut, or it's too. <laughs> It'll far. make it look as though you're as intelligent as Michael. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, the, the real question is that he, he said: Is the campaign for the farmed environment being publicised enough? Are the consequences of failure well enough understood? And the answer to those two things, in my view, is I don't think we can publicise it enough, too much. I think that, you know, it's something that, as farmers, we have to publicise what we're doing better and keep doing it. Yeah. And the campaign for the farmed environment is our chance to show, in my view, the consumers, but the government would have us that it's showing the government that we are responsible enough to look after the countryside. Right. And... I think that's a good show because I think we ought to show that we're responsible enough to look after the countryside yeah. and if there are things we do that are not good, we ought to address them. And equally, it gives us a chance to point up the things that we're already doing that are good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think... Well, I mean,
1: there's the expression, isn't there? I think, I think it was coined, oh, years ago. You know, I, I did a, a couple of agriculture modules in my, in my degree, you know, just for, just for interest's sake, and uh, I remember looking at the Scott Report that was a study commissioned by then the central government to look at the uh, feasibility of it was in 1947, but the, the, one of the key phrases that was coined uh, by Scott was that farmers were the guardians of the countryside. Mm. Now, that, farmers often use that expression to, to, sh- to stress their significance in the countryside, but, but often uh, that has been abused.
2: I, I was going to say we have to be careful because I think that there have been occasions when farmers have used that phrase, the garden of the countryside or the custodian of the countryside, as a licence to do what they will, mm. and that may or may not be appropriate. Right. And I think that some accountability is valuable. And as Tim rightly says, the consequences for not achieving something with a campaign for the farmed environment are essentially that central government have threatened to impose environmental activities on agriculture. And as somebody who is vehemently against central government imposing anything <laughs> on agriculture, the onus is yes, on us you, there is that. To, to do it ourselves. Right. And I believe that there are obviously areas where we can improve our activities, right. but it also gives us a chance to showcase those things that we're already doing. Indeed. And point them up. And I think that's equally impo- important, that we're not necessarily environmental criminals, all of us, and that you know, there are aspects of what we do which the countryside is completely reliant on, and, okay. and rightly so. so.
1: Fabulous. Well, OK, and, and uh, in addition to that, I think there's a final tweet about... Uh, all things block-like? Well,
2: yes. Uh, Lynn Rees ha- has asked what our thoughts on the badger cull trial in Wales are. Yeah. It's only in Wales, right. because the Welsh Assembly have basically had the guts to say this is what we're going to have to do. Right. I'm not completely in agreement with it, although I am intrigued... So what's, what's, se-
1: what's the extent of
2: the cull? Well, essentially what they're going to do is to select areas and cull the badgers. Right. Basically, try and get rid of tuberculosis, bovine tuberculosis. Okay, I think that politically, that was probably the only thing they could do because they aren't in a position yet to do the more targeted badger control, which is what I would like to see. I would like to see badgers with TB controlled and try and leave the healthy badgers, which makes sense. But it's quite a difficult shout because politically and actually practically doing it, it's not easy. Who do you allow to do what and when? And so it'll be a case of watching.
1: I I sit so uneasily about any aspect of uh, of badger culls. It's uh, it's such difficult ground to engage in. And I know we've talked about it uh, many times over the years, but I I just don't see how it's possible to uh, essentially... Prescribe the culling of animals in a specific area in order to, well, justify the reduction in the spread of, of TB, given that... I mean, yeah, it, it, I think there is sufficient evidence now to suggest the, the relationship between badgers and cows causes problems and the spread of TB, but in order to eradicate a community of animals to stop the spread of a disease when, in
2: fact other things could be done to stop the spread of the disease uh, is wrong. I think you're probably right and I agree with you but I think that it's a simpler thing than that that politically to do something about TB and badgers is better than nothing and like you I I don't like the word cull it's a blunt instrument and I think it has quite a lot of negatives to it but the English government's attitude that we're not going to do anything about TB and badgers renders everything else that we do pointless. We're mm-hmm. slaughtering hundreds and thousands of cattle, and that will continue until we address the body of disease. So we'll, we'll watch and see. We'll see what happens. The, the evidence that comes out of it will be useful, right. and that we can judge, and hopefully we can get more targeted badger control. I much prefer the word control... And I much prefer the idea of controlling diseased badgers, because that way we can get some results. OK. Um, you've been out with uh, your recorder again, haven't you? Because I mean, I mean, we mean, seem to be promoting your podcast and, and this um, this competitor, you lounging around on the top well, of the dome and all yeah, the rest of it. All this,
1: this having I mean,
2: said that, you have generously recorded... A piece of what? Well, as, as,
1: as I have done over many years, I, I, I put little pieces together which uh, people seem to enjoy. And uh, the other day, of course, I was, I was trying to figure out something to do when the snow was thick on the ground. Everything that Just I. Just the same as being And rich. not being in the house. Because <laughs> I didn't want to be in the house. I didn't want to be working in the house. You know, I didn't want to. There were various things I could do, uh, but I. I want to be outside, so so I've, I've leapt outside, took my little iPod recorder with me because the ground, when it's blanketed with snow the acoustics are just amazing it's really they? strange it isn't it it dampens off mm. all those human noises and, and your senses uh, just become so aware of, of uh, all the, the minutiae of sound You know, the, certainly uh, bird song and things like that but everything seems to stand out so much more so uh, anyway I, I talk a little little bit about what I'd found to do uh, in, in, at home in the garden and do a little bit of excavating
2: in the snow and things like that brilliant let's have a listen to that
1: one thing that I often talk about is the fact that as gardeners we often ignore providing food for the birds in a sustainable fashion and by that I mean by planting the right shrubs you know all the bushes and trees that will provide fruit during those harder months I've noticed this year that the gelder rows that adorn the hedge line down to the gates have been stripped the berries have all gone, that's a real indication of uh, of the need for for birds to eat as much as possible because they're not their favourite berries by any stretch of the imagination but the ivy everywhere is still producing lots and lots of berries the trees, the ash and the oak that are towering above me are inundated with ivy and the birds are buzzing around between the evergreen foliage of of the ivy leaves which are now glistening from that watery winter sun such an important plant, ivy. A lot of it's disappeared from the countryside. Unfortunately, those ivy knolls are so significant. It's often worth, when you when you think about a hedge, ivy will certainly colonise a hedge quite quickly if it's allowed to and, and take over to a certain extent. You end up with something that's uh, kind of dead inside a, an ivy overcoat. But that's not unattractive. And it's certainly a wonderful way of providing fruit for a whole sortie of songbirds during the course of the winter. And of course pigeons love them as well. You often find the, the buffling wings of pigeons struggling to take purchase on those those finer branches of the ivy on the on a low hedge in the winter time. Stuffing their crops. And another interesting thing I've seen, I've noticed this year is that the pheasants down below in the and the orchard are flying up into the top of the trees not just to roost but they're doing so in the daytime to, to stuff their faces on mistletoe berries which is a wonderful thing everything looks so much clearer in this anti-cyclonic sun there's hardly a movement in the air the sky is vivid turquoise and as I gaze up the hill there's a buzzard sat in the top of an old oak his white breast is so obvious against that blue background. And he's just sat there, waiting. Perhaps just thinking it might get the opportunity to snaffle a vole that's brave enough to come from under its grassy mound. It's great this time of year there to go and wander about and check out all the animal tracks. I did see a squirrel first thing this morning. on grey squirrel, of course, they don't hibernate. They'll come out and, and they'll feed it was having difficulty balancing on the branches in the, midst of the the snow I'm entirely sure what it would eat at this time of year Food from its stores where it kind of buried its little stashes of acorns A couple of months ago when those oak trees were throwing their fruit Possibly You can hear that buzzard now Very forlorn sound isn't it Not in keeping with a big raptor It's funny, often the predators in the natural world are invariably the the most susceptible to to injury, the softest of animals. They're often not as robust as we imagine them to be. The main reason for my coming out today is to expose some water pipes. I can't, (laughs) that's not the best day to do it, but I've... I've, uh, there's a, the folly on the land next to the folly there's a reservoir, an old brick reservoir it's a wonderful thing probably about 10 yards long and possibly 4 or 5 yards wide decent size, very deep probably 4 metres deep and unfortunately, earlier on this year some of our neighbours having some work done and the guys that were doing the building managed to uncover the water pipe and broke it and consequently the reservoir drained down now what's interesting about this reservoir is whilst it's on folly land it doesn't feed the folly oh listen to that doesn't that sound as a great spotted woodpecker He's just shot up into the oak tree next to a couple of bat boxes I put up there a few years ago that uh, I don't think bats have ever used but blue tits have nested in them so they've served some purpose at least anyway back to the back to the reservoir I thought, really, I needed some more control over this reservoir. It drained down, and interestingly, as a, as a way of filling up, associated with sort of capillary action. There's no real spring as such going in there, so it needs some water in there to maintain its volume. So I'm going to excavate part of the pipe that goes down past ours and tap into it a, a connector so that we can benefit from our, our reservoir, if you like. What I'd like to do with the water is, is use it to put in a, a dishwasher I've oh, had real problems with the idea of having a dishwasher but uh, you know uh, washing up never gets any easier it's not a pleasant task and if I've got a means of being able to supply it with with water, something that's efficient in terms of electricity then uh, I think it's probably a winning solution but I'd also like to use the water to flush the chains at least You know, possibly even feed the, the washing machine so that's my little project for today there are certainly worse things I could be doing. That's not exactly making me any money, but there you are. There's more to life. A male bullfinch has just swung out in front of me. Relatively rare these days, tend not to see them. I mean, there are various reasons cited for the demise of the bullfinch. People think that they're quite an easy target for sparrowhawks, and since their numbers have increased, they've played their part in the, in the reduction in bullfinch numbers, but you know, there are various reasons for... For the fluctuations of pop- population densities in all animals, but they are possibly one of my favourite finches. How stunning birds! You know, it's hard to believe that up until recently, certainly when I was in my teens, I knew of instances where people would go through orchards in Herefordshire, commercial orchards in Herefordshire, and shoot bullfinches because they were picking the blossom from the apple trees. This kind of thing is just beggar belief,
2: but it did happen. So thank you for that, Rich. That's great. I tell you what, uh, just sort of as a follow-on from your activities in the snow, of course the snow gives us a unique opportunity of actually seeing what animals or people, for that matter, are walking about where. It does because there's it all does. the tracks in the snow, aren't it there? Does. It does. It's an interesting thing.
1: You can see what plays have been mm. uh, carrying on through the night. You know, it's like uh, watching a, a drama almost to see what what kind of activities have unfolded.
2: Well, the other night, and I think we probably mentioned it on the podcast, but we had a fox come into the right in front of the kitchen window at night yeah. in the floodlight yeah. and he was up on the wall right. and of course heather immediately felt that her chickens were in some danger right. and uh, it was quite interesting because i went and checked the chicken run which the chickens are fine yeah but i could see where mr fox had come through the fence and gone to the corner of the chicken run and then gone on right, right. and i i would have expected nothing less of him mm, but it was just quite interesting yeah. that you could see where he'd gone but yeah. you can also pick at where the little animals are going, so that you know you can see where mice have moved about in it and yeah, all sorts yeah. of things, and it's fascinating watching what what things go where Indeed. that you never thought about. Indeed, and, and and often with birds' feet, you know,
1: there's there's a, a beginning and an abrupt end, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so not necessarily tracks to follow from one uh, one source of habitat from, to another. Yeah, it is it is amazing, and it is, and we've been really lucky this year. I mean, the snow is a it does get you down a bit it becomes a bit of a drag makes things logistically difficult but it that wonderful romance that that it offers in lots of different respects kind of of encapsulated by uh, animals footprints really
2: Mm. and of course it's another thing i discovered or heard about this week is that birds notably birds that exist on the ground get cold feet when the weather's very cold and it's quite important that they find somewhere that they can get up off the frozen ground or out of the snow and I noticed that the chickens will stand around on one leg Right, in order to warm up the other one, yeah, while yeah. it's not on the ground, and it's quite important that they have somewhere that they can get out of it.
1: So the chickens don't like snow, do they? No, they're not that keen. I notice they seem to spend quite a lot more time in the hen house, you know, <laughs> in the warm and in the dry. They're not. They're, it's difficult. It's difficult to feed. You know, scratching opportunities are few and far between. So,
2: and I know, of course, the ducks find it difficult to feed because their ponds frozen, yeah, and the grass is all covered in snow, yeah, and so I'd, I'd put some floor sweepings actually out for them and they went mad for that oh, yeah, they loved that yeah yes yeah. so crops. Uh, anyway we ought to sign off i feel it, I, think um, right, I think you're right phil danger of it's rambling an, uh, yeah
1: we could sit here and, and rattle on all day but uh, and it's been lovely
2: to do so well precisely mm. so it's bye from me and it's bye bye from me